and in the times where you're not feeling great and in the times where you don't have the words to say in prayer. Sometimes a song does the work for you. So we encourage you to listen to these songs during the week. Um, Pastor John, can you tell them where to find them? Yeah, you can go um, on the link tree, which will be up on the slides in a little bit later. Uh, and it's right up on there. It's, on, it's in there for you to be able to download in and, and Apple Music uh, and, and find all the worship there. And when you get here, we can sing it that much louder. We can sing it with that much purpose. We can sing it that much more intentionally all together. We can join our faith with each other. And the ones that don't have the strength, somebody else can gird you up. That's what we're here for, to help out each other, to sing for somebody else who maybe can't sing that day. So we are, we are, you are more than welcome. The only difference between you sitting in your seat and us on the platform is that you're sitting in your seat and we're standing on the platform. That's, that's it. We can all worship. You can even have the mic. But you're welcome. We enjoy worshiping together, so we're going to do that. Internalize the words to these songs. Read the words. Take them in and make them personal because it, it is personal. It is personal. His relationship with you is personal. Everything he says, take it personally because he means it just for you, just for you, just for you, just for you, just for me. Just snatch whatever it is that pertains to you and, and run with it. Run with it. Whatever you came in under, just know he's above it all. He's above it all. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. No matter the mountain, no matter the valley, there's a name above it all. No matter the testing, no matter the breaking, there's a king above it all. And he reigns forevermore. No
our praise, Lord. Bless your mighty name, Jesus. We thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Your name is greater. Your name is mightier. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Glory, 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 glory. Glory to your name, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Man's empty praise treasures that fade are never enough. You came along and put me back together. Every desire is now satisfied here in the
In your name there's victory. In your name there's freedom. In your name there's life. In your name, Jesus, there's hope and hope forevermore. Today, Daddy, I, I pray that your kingdom will come. I pray in this service, Lord God, that your authority, your supernatural power, your healing anointing, the balm of Gilead that comes and brings soothing and brings health and brings wholeness, Lord God. The power that made the leper clean and the blind see, that that power may manifest itself in this room today. Daddy, we're saying here we are. We trust you. Not by might nor by power, not by our strength or our goodness but by your spirit. That's how chains are broken. That's how seas are open. That's how dry bones come alive. So Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do in this room. Fill us to overflowing. Everyone in this room, everybody watching, everybody listening in the name of Jesus. Fill those vocation houses with the spirit of God. Fill those hotel rooms, those hospital rooms, Lord God. Those quarantined quarters, Lord God, fill them right now with the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Where there's sickness and disease, we pray for health and wholeness. Where there's addiction, we pray for freedom. Depression, we pray for joy. Lack, we pray for provision. Shame, we pray for freedom in Jesus' name. We give you the glory and the honor. It's not by our might. It's not by our power. We are professing it's by your spirit. So come, Lord Jesus, come. Be glorified and have your way. Let this moment be a holy moment. May this ground be holy ground. 
May our hearts be open, our ears hear, our eyes be ready to see the King of glory as he comes in. We give you the glory and the honor and the praise. Come on, church. And together we say amen and amen. Can we give God just one praise of glory for his goodness today? Lord God, thank you. You turn praise in the gardens. Woo! Oh, I love that song. I love it. I love it. I was singing it yesterday. I, I, did, I didn't even remember we were going to sing it today. I was just singing it yesterday because he's talking about, he's talking, we're singing. We were just singing and proclaiming again that Jesus was dead and the grave was opened and what was once dead became alive. He's, we were singing about how dry bones were dead, but the Spirit of God showed up and the dead bones became an army for the Lord. We were singing about this amazing God who saw his people in oppression locked away in Egypt and he opened a Red Sea, did the impossible. I hope for you, can I encourage you today, I hope for you, my prayer for you church, for this church, for you and I, is that those are not stories, they're testimonies. I can't tell you how many people have told me over the years as a pastor, I know all the stories of the Bible I said, you're seeing it wrong. Those aren't stories. They're testimonies of God's greatness. They're testimonies of his faithfulness. They're testimonies of his love. Because not one of those people who got it deserved it. Not one of those people did it right. Not one of them was perfect. Not one of them was holy enough, good enough, or powerful enough. And my God still showed up. So I don't know where you are in your journey with God today or in your journey with life. Come on, sometimes life hits you upside the head like Shayla was saying but I'm here to tell you the story the word of God is a testimony that you don't have to be good enough you don't have to be powerful enough you don't have to be holy enough for God to show up in your life it's his love it's his love always has been always will be so you are situated in the right place today not simply because you're in the house of God but because you're in the midst of the love of God you're in the right place. Do you need a miracle today? You're in the right place. You need a breakthrough today? You're in the right place. You need some hope today? You're in the right place. Right in the center of the love of God. Just think about that for a moment. Just take, close your eyes just for a moment. Have you ever been in the deep end of a pool? All the way submerged at the bottom? Do you feel the weightlessness? The total peace of it all. That's where you are in the love of God. Submerged in the deep end. You can't get out of it. You can't get under it. You can't get around it. There's a sense of peace. If you won't fight to get to the surface. But you'll trust the God of the ocean. Holy Spirit come today. Help us to trust you and move in power in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm so thankful that you're here today. Beyond measure thankful. Obviously, this is 4th of July weekend in Jersey, so good on you. Thank you for being in church today. Welcome to Connect Church. So glad that you guys are here today. Really, really am. So thankful that you put gas in your car at $9 billion a gallon got up early and got here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for trusting us with your kids and with your lives. And
Thank you. We want to just give a shout out to everybody who's online today as well. Hey, welcome guys. We love you no matter where you are, down the shore, in a hotel room. We know many. We, we know that there are some people from uh, our, our community that are still in quarantine in COVID. We love you. We're praying for God to break through in that area as well. And it doesn't matter where you are. God is present with you. The same God that's in this room is the same God that's in your room with you. Whether you are watching it now or watching it later, because my God is outside of time and space. He's awesome. He's there with you. We're so glad you're here. We do honestly desire church to be a family and for us to learn how to live life well together. So before you're being seated, can you just take a moment or two, turn to someone who's around you, give them a high five or an air high five or a fist pump, whatever you feel comfortable with. Man, take a walk out of your seat for a minute. Just say hi. Just say good morning. Tell them it's great to see them. Oh, wow. Well, it's 4th of July weekend in Jersey, in Philly. And this is the weekend that we honor uh, and celebrate uh, Independence Day across our country. And can I just say this? I recognize that this day means something very different to, very, to, to a lot of people in this room and a lot of people uh, in our nation. And today I just want to make sure that we honor all of those people who have continued to fight and strive to make this country, uh, we hope, what God has called it to be. You know, growing up in, Phil in the Philadelphia area, I had the, I've had the opportunity to go to Independence Hall and the Liberty Bell and walk all of that kind of area. I lived in Boston for a while, so I got to walk the Freedom Trail got to see right Paul Revere's ride and in the North Church and I was at the you know the, the the bay where they threw in the tea the tea party and traveled throughout Europe I've seen the Battle of the Bulge I've been in the bunkers where they planned D-Day I've cried through the concentration camps of Auschwitz and Birkenau I've walked the battlefields of Gettysburg, stood in Appomattox Courthouse. I know the price that was paid. I know this, that the 55 men that stood across this river 250 years ago didn't get it all right. They certainly didn't. For a lot of people, they didn't get it right. But what they did is they drew a line in the sand and said, we're not going backwards. We're going to try to go forwards the best that we can. And over the decades, people have kept moving that sense of freedom forward and forward and forward and forward. And we're not there yet. Come on. We're not there yet, but we're not where we started. And I hope that Monday can give you a sense of hope because maybe you're someplace where you weren't, you're not there. You're not where you want to be, but you're not where you started from. And there was a line in the sand that you drew and said, I'm not going back. And it's going to take some fighting, and it's going to take some Gettysburgs and some Battle of the Bulges, and it's going to take some D-Day planning, and it's going to take some sacrifice. But at the end of the day, I really want to give you hope because we've got some distance to travel, but I know this. We're not where we need to be, but we're not where we were. 
And that's the same thing in our Christian life, I hope. We're, we're, we're not where we can be, but we're also not where we used to be. That's hope. That's hope. The good news about that is the battle's already won in, in, that, in that place, isn't it? The battle already won 2,000 years ago for you and I. But I just want to encourage you. We may not be where you want to be when it comes to anything in life. But when we trust God, we are not where we used to be. And there is hope in Jesus Christ. You know, before we hop into the Word, because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually excited to, to, to bring the Word today, I, I just want to invite you, especially if this is, uh, a, you know, you haven't been coming to Connect for a while, um, and, and, you're, and, and this is one of your first or second times, uh, you know, here at our church, we want to help people get discipled. It, it, for us, it's not just about a good Sunday event, it's actually about how, how to live this thing out, because... How many of you know it's difficult to live out this thing? Like, how to get, like, we can know the word, but how to actually live it out becomes more difficult in our world. And so we have groups that meet. We have men's groups and women's groups. Men's groups are called Forge. Women's groups are called Shoulder to Shoulder. They meet throughout the week. They are Zoom meetings. They, they're, they're done by video teaching, and then they're Zoom meetings. And it's just a great opportunity for us to be able to learn together, walk together, grow together, have people to pray with, have someone who can help you out along the journey of life because we can't do this thing alone. So even though this week, because it's a holiday, we're not going to have those groups, this week may be a great opportunity for you to go to LinkedIn, check out what those groups are, sign up for one, even if you haven't been a part of it yet. It's a great thing. To, look, Jesus did not call us just to come to church. Jesus called us to be disciples. And we, and that's, that's what we are about, not just having great church services, but actually creating opportunities for you to be a disciple of Jesus and learn how to walk out, walk with a real God in a real world in a real way. Because that's what worship looks like, walking with a real God in a real world in a real way. Amen? All right, so just check it out. All right, are you guys ready for the word today? All right, I'm ready for the word today. Uh, so if, since you brought your Bible, why don't you open with me to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. Uh, it's, it's written by Moses. It is the story. It's the beginning of the story of God's redemption. And, and that's what the Bible is. It's the story. It's the history of God's story of redemption, his testimony of redemption of humanity. And if you need a, a, a title for today's message, it's the battle of independence. The battle of independence. You know, as we just said, this weekend we're honoring Independence Day in our country. And, and it's a day that we are celebrating our separation from one authority so that we can have self-determined rule. Right? That's what independence is. That's what 1776 was all about. And so today I thought that we'd take some time to talk about independence talk about independence. Now, before I go any further, I want to make sure this is clear, because the moment I said independence, the moment that we as Americans thought I was talking about government, and what happens with the government, and make sure, I'm not talking about government or political systems at all. That is not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about, I want to talk about today the concept of independence, and how that concept of independence influences our lives as people of faith. How, how it influences, how it shapes our thinking, and it forms uh, our life choices. It, it, it even influences the way that we look at God, the way that we see the, our part in the kingdom of God. But in order to do it complete justice, I want to make sure that we put it in context because this wasn't accidentally placed here. We have to see this concept in light of 
the last two weeks, and if you haven't been able to hear those messages, they're online, you can go check them out, but the concept of what freedom really is, because a lot of times we, we, we relate independence and freedom together, intermix them together, but freedom, biblically, is not the ability to do whatever I want to do, it's the ability to do what I couldn't do before Jesus, which is be holy, which is have intimacy with God, which is actually to walk in the power of the Spirit, to actually live a holy life. I couldn't do that without Jesus. And then last week, we started to talk about the why. Why do we fight this good fight of faith? Why are we in the midst of this battle? So that we can reclaim and occupy the holy ground that God has given us. The holy ground of our marriage, the holy ground in our relationships, the holy ground in our mind. How do we take that back? So in order for us to understand all this together, uh, independence, we have to understand it in that context as well. So, see, I think so often we see independence as this place where we don't need anything or anyone to help us make our decisions, right? Come on, that, that's, that's, all of us were like that as teenagers. Do you remember as a teenager, like, I can't wait to move out of this house because I can't wait so I can make my own decisions. I want to I wanna do it my way. If I want to turn the AC down to 65, I can turn it down to 65, Dad, because I'm paying the mortgage now. If I want to come in after midnight, it's my prerogative. Shout out to Bobby Brown. It's my prerogative. Come on. Everybody's talking. Oh, that's old school. Sorry. It's my prerogative. However, in our drive for personal independence, we end up depending on government entities to maintain the rights of independence that we desire. In our desire for independence from our parents or from our loneliness, we often depend on others to fill in that gap. In, in our desire for financial independence, we often rely on increasing debt and extended work hours for provision. In our drive for independence from absolute truth, we begin to depend on our own opinions, our own experiences, and our own culture to be the final voice that validates the choices that we make. So, it seems like even our concept of independence is an illusion. Because seemingly the real question of independence is who are we going to depend upon to provide for our independent choices? In this text that we're going to look at today, we're going to look at Abraham and Lot and how they had to make a major life decision. And how those decisions came from very different places. Lot made, uh, makes a, a decision from a place of personal independence for his life. But Abraham makes a choice from his total dependence on God. How these two led to very, two very different outcomes for both of them. And it, it comes from, look, the truth is what, what's, what's happening is that historically, uh, Lot and Abraham, their sheep had grown so many, their, their, their herds had grown so big, the land wasn't big enough to sustain them. So the herdsmen were fighting back and forth. And so they had to make this major life decision about what to do next. So how do we handle major life decisions? Whether they come out of need or simple opportunity, how we make them affects how we live. What comes in our future? Let's, let's look at Genesis 13. Maybe we can learn something about the place from which we make decisions. Verse 10 says this. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord. 
like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. That's before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. But look at verse 14. Then the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated himself, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are. Look north and south and east and west. For all the land that you see, I'll give you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if, you, if one could count the dust, your offspring would also be able to be counted. Now arise, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. Listen to this. Underline this. So Abraham moved his tent and settled by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built the altar. We can see both of their responses not only landed them in very different positions, but they came from very different places from within them. And maybe we could see ourselves in this. I wonder, do, do you and I tend to be more of an Abraham or more of a Lot when we're making life decisions? Because right off the bat, we can see that the Bible says Lot saw what looked good to him and he made his decision. He saw it look like the land of Egypt, which only symbolizes the world. It looked good, just like all the prosperity that the world has. And from that place, he made the decision. But God spoke, Abraham moved, and settled in it. God spoke, Abraham moved, and settled in it. I wonder how different our life would be if we would just simply settle into what God says about it. Settle into what God says about our marriage or about our finances, about how to have a healthy relationship. I wonder how different our life would be if we let God speak and we settled in it. I think maybe the first question that we need to wrestle with today in our pursuit of not being Lot and actually being Abraham, the father of faith, by the way. When we talk about Abraham, he's a picture of the father of faith. Matter of fact, that's how he's referred to many times in the word of God. Maybe the first question is this. How does the kingdom define independence? How does the kingdom define independence? Now again, I'm not talking about governmental systems, okay? We're clear on that. But I'm talking about a personal pursuit of independence. Something that is so embedded inside of us as Americans, we have to own it. Like, it's in us. Everything that drives us is this thing that I have the right to make my own decision. That's not universal. That's inside of us as Americans. It drives us. But have we ever stopped and asked the question, is the personal pursuit of independence biblical? Is this what the Word teaches? Is this what the kingdom of God is? Does this personal pursuit help for independence help me or hurt me in my intimacy to God? Because isn't that the questions we should be asking about everything in our life? Why are we afraid to actually do that when it comes to something like independence or freedom? The more squeeze it has, it's because it's more deeply embedded in us. What's the kingdom say? And I know many people are going to say, yeah, I know, but we have free will. Pastor, we have free will. Yes, that is absolutely truth. But free will and independence are not the same thing. Free will, which is inherent in all of us, God placed free will in every human being. It's inherent in all of us, gives us the ability to be independent, but it's not founded in independence. It is not self-rule. It is self-choice within given rules. 
That's how we can define free will. We have to define it the way God defines it. Because in Genesis chapter 2, from the very beginning, it says in verse 15, God took Adam, placed him in the garden, told him to tend it and work it and keep it. And he said, all these trees, man, you can eat from anything in the garden except one. See, God set up free will within the boundaries of God's will and holiness. Why? So that it would keep wholeness alive in Adam and Eve. God's boundaries aren't to restrict us. They're to bless us so that we can keep wholeness alive and well in you and I. So why then do we have free will? Because it is a mechanism. It was meant to be a mechanism. It was meant to be a mechanism to express our love to God. Now, can we agree we don't always use things correctly? Like, we, you know, a car can transport drugs. It wasn't it was supposed to do that. It wasn't the, sometimes it's, some, we can use guns incorrectly. Not the purpose for them, but we use them incorrectly. There's things that were meant to be one thing that because of our free will, we can mishandle. But this was always meant to be a mechanism to express God's love, our love for God. Can you imagine as a parent, which many of you are in here, if you said to your child, you're not going to get any food tonight unless you tell me you love me. Or if someone put a gun to your head and said, do you love me? How many of you know the answer is going to be yes? But you'll never know whether that's true love or not until you remove the gun. Until you feed them first before the love comes. See, for free will to actually be there, for us to actually love God, we must be free, totally free to choose love or not. That's what free will is. That's why he says in Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. I want you to choose life because if you choose life, you can learn how to love me. That's actually what the Bible says. I want you to choose life, but I give you because... It's really about loving me. I'm going to give you the choice to not love me. So free will was never meant to be a mechanism of our self-rule. It was meant to be an expression of our love for God within his atmosphere of holiness and wholeness. And it still is today. Every time we say yes to him and no to ourselves, we're telling him we love him. But this is where it gets murky, if we're really honest, especially as American Christians, because we struggle with this concept of independence and the pursuit of it inside of us. And it's where it really becomes muddy between believers and disciples, and kind of that's what we've been talking about in, in here so much. But at least the way that I see it is that believers see independence as the right to determine how to live in God's kingdom according to their own free will. As a believer, I should have the right to determine how I want to live, what I want to do, how I want to give, how I want to serve, what my life choices should be, because I have the free will God gave me. But disciples recognize their dependence on Jesus' will to live, so that they can live right in God's kingdom. Those two things are very different. One is saying I have the right to make a decision so how to live. The other says I am dependent on his will to live right. We can see this in the, in, the, in the word. Lot was dependent and made an independent decision. Can we agree Lot made a free will decision? No one forced him to do this. But it was independent of God's word and independent of God's direction. And it led him to Sodom. 
It led him to a culture and a community of compromise that he was not called to live in. Now here's the problem. The problem is that many of us are like Lot. Because Lot, for all intents and purposes, was a church guy. I mean, let's look at what ha- let's look at the truth. Lot grew up in the household of faith. He heard the stories of God and Abraham. He knew the culture. He had seen the father of faith respond differently. He was a church kid. But his depth of maturity, or should I say immaturity, was actually revealed in his proclamation of independence. I can figure out what is best for my life. I can figure out how to provide for my family, provide in my business, provide for my sheep. I can make a logical decision. I can see what is most common sense for my future. I can figure out that I can depend on the lushness of my fields and the well-supplied valley that I chose. I was thinking about this the other day, and I was like, Dag, i got to be honest. I probably have given people lot advice many times. I think if we are honest, a lot of times we would have given Lot the same advice. I mean, look at this opportunity in front of you, Lot. This valley is beautiful. It's filled with so much potential. How could you not take it? I mean, look at it. Look at the promotion you're getting. I know you got to move away, and I know it's a lot more time at the office, and I know you got to travel more, but, and you won't be around your family, but look what you can provide for them. I mean, God wants you to be blessed. This certainly looks like God's blessing. See, the only reason we would not do that now is because we know the end of the story. We know what happens in Sodom. So because we know the end of the story, we can go, that's bad advice. That's horrible advice. But then I had to collide with my own self and go, I'm an idiot. Because the truth is, when God knows the end of the story and tells us before we get in the story, why is it we so struggle to believe it's true? God's like, hey, don't get into that kind of relationship. Here's the end of it. Hey, 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 make sure you do this or don't do this with your finances because if not, you're, don't, don't get unequally yoked because when you do, this is the end. And we're like, yeah, but I don't know. I don't know, God. This opportunity looks really good. I don't know, God. This relationship's really lush. It's really green. Why do we, he knows the end from the beginning and we still struggle to believe it's true. And it's so easy. This, this type of life becomes so easy Especially in this area, when we have the means or the system to take care of ourselves. The more ability you and I have to take care of ourselves, the more we give in to this kind of thinking. How do I know? Because it's in the Word. Do you remember the story in Matthew 19 where the rich young ruler shows up to Jesus? He's like, yo, yo, Jesus, good teacher. And Jesus is like, why are you calling me good? I know what's inside your heart. And he's like, hey, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, uh, sell everything you got, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. The Bible says he walks away because he had a lot to lose. He had a lot. I just want to make one thing clear about that text. It's not about money at all. It's about allowing Jesus to determine what following and living looks like. It's about allowing Jesus to determine what following looks like. 
Jesus to determine what abundant life looks like for me. And that's different for all of us. Because money might not be my issue. Come on, somebody. Uh, having a lot might not my, my, be my issue. It might be some other issue. But God is saying, if you want to be my disciple, you've got to allow me to determine what following looks like. Me to determine, come on, what abundant life looks like. For me, I know this. When I have an abundance in my bank account, I'm a lot more willy-nilly with my spending. Can I get an amen? But when the bank, come on, when the bank balance is a little more tight, come on, somebody, I'm making decisions from a whole other place. It's just true. We see it in our everyday life, and then we think, oh, it's not going to affect our spiritual life. But Abraham, this father of faith, gives us a picture of what a disciple should look like. Abraham, even though he messed up and made an independent decision that was counter to God's word at first, by bringing Lot along, he brought Lot with him. Do you realize that wasn't God's word and his will? Matter of fact, Genesis chapter 12 verse 1 says that God tells Abraham to leave his country, leave his father's household, Lot was his, Lot was his nephew, not, that's part of his father's household, and go to a place I'll show you. He got half right and half wrong. He decided half of it was good for him, the other half, not so sure. How many times have you and I decided we are half going to follow what God said, and the other half we're not sure, and we end up with a lot, and then we blame God? How many lots have we brought with us, come on church, that were never supposed to be with us? But this is the beautiful thing about God. I love it, that even though he didn't do what was right the first time, which tells me I don't have to be perfect in this life, he learned, and God's grace and God's love gave him the space to be able to learn, so that when he had another opportunity to make another major life decision, his decision came from being dependent on the word of God, the way of God, and the will of God. The next time, he's like, I'm not going to do it wrong again. I'm going to go back and I'm going to depend on the word of God, the way of God, the will of God. You know, that reminds me of someone else who exampled that same kind of free will choice for you and I on the will of God and the way of God and the word of God. His name was Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Luke chapter 22, verse 42, on the night before, uh, the night that he was taken, the night before the cross, he's in the, the, the garden. He is praying. He's sweating blood. And he's saying, Daddy, here's my will. If you could take this cup from me, go for it. But not my will, your will be done. Isn't he our example? Isn't he our king? As disciples, aren't we called to be followers of his? If this is the place from which he made decisions, should it not also be the place we battle to make decisions from as well? That's why it's a battle of independence. See, his answer is not void of free will or independence. It was given within full dependence on knowing what God said was true. Knowing what God said about Jesus was true. Knowing what God said about the future was going to be true. And the truth was it wasn't free of pain. It, it, it wasn't free of family strife. It wasn't culturally accepted. It wasn't logical. He wasn't looking for consensus to make the decision. It was a full proclamation of Jesus' free will choice to love the Father. Daddy, here's the deal. I love you. And because I love you, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to depend on you. Because I can't depend on myself. 
I can't make it another way. I don't want to do it another way, but I trust you. I love you, so I'll trust you, and I'll depend on you. These moments are love moments. These garden moments in our life are love moments. These decision moments are love moments. I know I've told this story before in church, but it's so applicable in this moment. When Jacob, my son, was just a real little baby, a little kid, he was, he was a little tentative to go into the pool. And so we'd put on his swimmies on him and his life jacket and the floaty things. And, and, and I'd get into the pool. And he'd stand up on the deck and I'd reach out my arms and say, come on, come on, jump, jump, I'll catch you. And it took him a few moments to, like little kids, to try to, to build up the courage. And then, but every, when he leaped, I would catch him and I'd spin him around in the water. And he'd get wet and he'd laugh, you know, the little giggle kids giggle. And I loved it. And it's not just that it blessed him and cooled him off and it was the beginning of his journey to learn how to swim. It's what it said to me as a dad. I knew he was scared. I knew he was tentative. And yet when he trusted me enough to catch me, I felt the love of my child. I wonder how many times do we take the opportunity to show daddy we love him. These are those love moments. We can sing all we want about loving God. We can read every verse in the Bible about loving God. We can tell people we love God. But when we're standing uncertain on the edge of our pool, whatever that is, and he actually gets in our world and says, come on, trust me, when we jump, that's love. I think the reality is, my friends, as we think about this, our overall issue is an issue of sovereignty and sustenance. Because we cannot expect sustenance of God without sovereignty of God. We cannot be or make decisions independent of the sovereignty of God and yet fully expect the sustenance of God to follow. It's like a a kid when they grow up and they're still living in your house. Come on, parents. You're still living in your house. They're going to do their thing their own way, make their own decisions, but yet they still expect you to pay the bills, put gas in their car, pay for their food. Come on, somebody. Make sure the electric is turned on, take care of their medical issues, be their relationship counselor. How many of you know that is not a healthy or whole relationship? That's not how it works. But how often do we do that with God? And I think the challenge, especially as modern believers, That we are being wooed by our culture, wooed by American thought to live within a sovereignty of self and an expectation on God to provide. Sovereignty of self. We want to make decisions like Lot. What looks good to us, feels good to us, makes us happy, but then expect God to pay the bill, God to clean up the mess. But we're not called to be those kind of men and women. If we are, that's all right that we are, but that's not what we're called to live. You and I are called to be disciples. Disciples live within the sovereignty of God with the full expectation on self to respond. Not God to respond, self to respond. I need to respond to God's will. Come on, isn't this the picture of the kingdom that Jesus teaches us that we talked even a little bit about last week? In, in, uh, in Luke chapter 18, where all the little children come to him, And he says, look, I want to let you know, this is what the kingdom is. The kingdom is like being a little child. As a little child, dependence is built in. Oh, how many of us know, as kiddos, we often have a will that is very different than our parents. But dependency is built in. See, God knew, and God knows, like little kids, 
we will have a nature that takes us away from him. So he sets the boundaries that give us the choice to live with him, live within his health and his holiness, and to live expressing our love for him. He sets the boundaries. The truth is, my friends, if we're honest, we don't have an independence issue. We have a sovereignty issue. Because at its core, independence is freedom from an authority. So although we say we want independence, what we really are saying is we don't want the perceived restrictions that come from sovereignty. We want the benefits of living under the sovereign authority of God over darkness, over the devil, over disaster, over disease. We just don't want the sovereign uh, authority over our decisions. And I get it, because every time I wrestle with this, my soul pushes back, and I'm sure your soul pushes back something like this, like, well, it's ridiculous to live thinking that God is going to make every little decision in my life. Like, God really cares whether I have a cappuccino or a latte, a venti or a tall, right? I don't know. Maybe that's true. I don't know. Have you ever asked him? But what is as ridiculous as that is to live our life like that and, it, and, and believe that when it comes to the major life decisions, the ones that mean the most to us, that we will actually give God the room to make those decisions. That's what's ridiculous. Why? Because the Bible teaches us in Proverbs 22, 6, when you raise up a child in the way that they should go or shouldn't go, when they get older, they won't depart from it. So when we train our inner person to make every decision out of logic, out of desire, out of cultural convenience, guess what? When the rubber meets the road, we won't depart from it. Oh, some of the easier decisions we might be in, but of the big ones, we won't. That's why the Bible teaches us it's so important. We have to renew our mind. Church isn't about just us coming together and clapping and cheering and being happy. It's actually a chance to renew the way that we think and see life. I hope that you're uncomfortable with this message. I hope that this makes a stir because I've had to be uncomfortable for a while with it. We have to renew our mind, especially in a world that is pushing independent thinking, independent choices, independent happiness as being the guide for our decisions. That's why the Bible teaches us in Romans 12 too, that don't conform to the pattern of this world. How do I not conform to it? I have to renew my mind. I have to have the word and the way and the will of God constantly flowing in it. Why? Then, the Bible says, then I'll know God's will. Then I'll be able to discern what is good and pleasant in God's life. Then, this week in Forged, I was speaking about how the mind is a safeguard to our emotions. How our, our mind actually guards our heart. Because, look, our emotions are always going to come, right? Sometimes we're going to have an overflow of good emotions. Sometimes we're going to have an overflow of not so good emotions. And the mind is the safeguard to the overflow of those emotions, that's, it, 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 it helps take them captive. It helps bring them into the submission to Jesus and his word. Isn't that what 2 Corinthians 10.5 says? 2 Corinthians 10.5 says a renewed mind, a renewed mind apprehends the emotion when it overflows and says, oh no, that's not how it really is. I know it feels right. It's not right. I, I know it feels good, but it's not good for you because it brings it back under a submission to Jesus. It's not about not having emotion. It's about actually what we do with them when we have them. Do you know, in, I, I, I lived in Tennessee for a while. They have dams everywhere. 
Do you know that in a dam, there are safe val safety valves? So that when the water gets too high and threatens to overflow, the safety valves open and disperse the water properly so that it doesn't overflow and destroy people's lives. That's what a renewed mind is. A renewed mind that is set on God's word, his way, and his will takes the overflow of the emotion and distributes it safely so that it doesn't bring destruction into our lives. Do you know that Lot made his own decision out of his own sense of free will and independence? And it got him living in a corrupt culture. Genesis 14, in just the next chapter, says that because he made his decision from that place of independence... It actually brought him under captivity to the enemy. It positioned him to be captivated by the enemy. The Bible says in Genesis 14, verse 1, that it came to pass in the days of King Amraphel, Ariok, Ketelamar, and Tidal, that they came to make war, make war against Sodom and Gomorrah, and that, if you read later on, Lot and his family are carried away in captivity. The enemy comes and takes him captive. Do you realize that all four of those names of those kings are names of the devil? All four. Amraphel means sayer of darkness. Arioch is lion-like. He's not a lion. There's only one lion. It's the lion of the tribe of Judah. It's Jesus, but he's lion-like. Come on. There's Ketelamar, the binder. Tidal, cast out of heaven. Our pursuit of personal independence often positions us for the enemy's dominance. In our pursuit of personal, it positions us for the enemy to dominate our life. Never God's attention. I know as a kid, and I've never talked about this before here. As a kid, my uncle had Playboys in his room. And I remember every time I'd go over there, I'd sneak in and look. Even though my parents told me not to, even though I knew it was wrong, I would go and look. And as a teenager... It tainted the way that I saw women. I saw women one way and for one thing. And after I got saved, Dee knows this, it took me almost three years fasting, praying, renewing my mind on purpose. So that as, when I started to date her, she was the first woman I ever dated that I did not see first through sexualized goggles. Maybe your story's different. Maybe you snuck into the liquor cabinet. Snuck behind the garage to smoke some weed. Stole a cookie from the cookie jar. Seems like it's innocent in the beginning, but it taught you how to self-soothe your life. Independent of God. We all have those stories. And what seems so innocent of decisions in the beginning birthed rebellion in us as an adult. I think the amazing thing about the love of God towards us is that even in the midst of all of that, faith still shows up to rescue him. Genesis 14, 14 says the father of faith shows up with warriors from his own house. From his own house. 318 men destroy four kings' armies. They're amazing. They are born in the house of faith. What comes from the house of faith has power over the dominance of the enemy. This is a picture of God's grace and mercy when our decisions, our free will decisions, position us in a place of compromise. He still sends his goodness to rescue us. 
There was a son born in God's house, come on, who he sent to rescue us from our own endemic free will decisions that got us in the position of the enemy of dominance. Where did Jesus come from? He came from God's house. In the beginning, the word was with God, and he was God, and he actually came and tabernacled and lived here on earth and died on the cross to set us free. Why? Because even when our own free will decisions position us for the enemy's dominance, there is hope. There is an answer. And it comes through the father of the son of faith who will actually bring the warriors and bring the power to overcome the things that tell you they're stronger than you. They're bigger than you. They've held you in captivity for so long. The son from the house says, not on my watch. And he doesn't just give us the son from the house. He gives us sons in the house. That's why Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 is so important. Because Jesus gave us the church. Ephesians 4, 11 says he gave us apostles and prophets and evangelists, pastors and teachers. Why? To equip us so that you and I can live in victory over the dominance of the devil. We can change the way that we think. We can start to depend on the Holy Spirit for guidance, the Holy Spirit for insight, the Holy Spirit for wisdom to know how to apply the word in a fallen world, to get the light that is inside of us out of us. That's what discipleship is. It's why force is important and shoulder to shoulder is important. It's why just not coming to church is important. We have to actually pursue a thing of God. Do you remember the tragedy for me? Is do you remember that Lot's wife doesn't make it out? Because the culture that we create affects the condition of those we've created it for. That's why we can't just simply train up a child in the way that they should go. We have to train up a household. Train up our inner man, our inner woman. Train up our marriage. Train up our mind. Train up our attitudes. Train up our beliefs. That's why 2 Timothy 3.16 says, The word of God is good for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training us so that we can live in righteousness. This is where peace comes. Peace is dependent on the word. Rest is when we allow his reign and his rule to overflow and overcome our need to rule. Isn't that what Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says? Jesus says, come to me when you're weary and you're heavy laden, when you're stressed out, freaked out, and worried, and I'll give you rest. There's a lot of times in my life I'm stressed out, especially living in this life as a pastor. We've got 89 things going on, building projects, selling things, all sorts of issues, building the parking lot, the middle. There's so many things, and I, there's times I get stressed out, and Dee will look at me, and she's, she'll say this, there's too much you in you. And I'll be like, shut up! She'd be like, no, 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 there's too much you in your decision. Too much you in your mind right now. Too much you in your dependence. There's too much you. She's right. This is where we need to be purposed in our pursuit of Jesus. In our pursuit of Jesus. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, I discipline myself. So that after I preach to others and tell them and blog about it and post about it and put up my scripture of the day about it, I don't disqualify myself for it. I got to pursue Jesus. Disciples live under the sovereignty of God with an expectation on themselves to respond to him. To depend on his word and his spirit. I love Matthew 16. We're almost done. Give me a few more moments. But I love Matthew 16 
Because Matthew 16, do you remember, Jesus takes his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. It's a vacation spot, by the way. They're on vacation. They're on a break. They're hanging out in, down the shore. And he says to them, who do people say that I am? And they say, some people say this, and some people say that, and some people say another thing, and lots of people have uh, uh, opinions about who you are. There are a lot of people, my friends, who are saying some things about many things. Come on. But when we depend on who God says he is, we have a different revelation of who he actually is. Do you remember what actually happens in that? He says, after all that, some people say this, and some people say that, and some people say another thing. Some people say I should live this way. Some people say this is right. Some people say that is right. And Jesus stops and says, Peter, who do you say I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus stops and says, I want you to know, you didn't figure this out on your own. This didn't come from your intellection, intelligence. This didn't come from your education. This was a direct revelation of my father on who I actually am. Because you began to depend on me, you're seeing me differently. And I want to let you know, on that revelation, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not fail, will not come against, will not overcome that revelation of who I am. What he, what he, what he builds, he reveals. He builds what he reveals. He sustains what he starts. He breathes life into what he births. Not what we birth and then ask him to pay the bill. He builds what he reveals. Do you know the beauty of the end of this story? Do you know where Abraham, Abraham's decision to depend on God's word, way, and will led him? It led him to a place called Mamre. Mamre in Hebrew means prosperity. It actually, the root word actually means causes fatness. I am very prosperous. Right? It was a place of rest, a place of shade, an oasis in a dry land. And it existed in a land called Hebron, which in Hebrew means communion. In a place of communion with God, of intimacy with Him, being at peace with who He is. He settled into prosperous peace in a place of communion with God. That's where His dependent decision led Him. There still, he still had battles to fight, obstacles of faith to maneuver through, but He learned through the smaller moment what would, what would give Him trust to walk in the larger moments where there was greater measures of faith needed when there was more at stake when God would say to him I want you to sacrifice the son I gave you oh God I was cool leaving a lot because he was a pain anyway but, but wait a minute this is my miracle I, I told everybody about how good you were giving me this this is part of my testimony God this is what you want to take no, no, no. Did you trust me to give you the son? Then trust me with the son. Did you depend on my word for the miracle? Then depend on my word for the provision. Because, my friends, what we train ourselves up in now will influence how we respond then. And because of our dependence on him, when we depend on Jesus... 
it will lead us to a deeper revelation of who he is. Isn't that what Jesus says about Abraham in John 8, verse 56? Abraham saw my day and he gloried in it. Abraham saw my day. What was he talking about? There was a day when Abraham and that son Isaac showed up at the base of Mount Moriah. And God said, you're going to take your son up to the hill and you're going to sacrifice him. So he placed the wood of the sacrifice on his son's shoulders. And the Bible says his son carried the wood of sacrifice up the hill on his shoulders. And when he got to the, hill, the top of the hill, that little boy became willing to be bound by his father and laid on the sacrifice table. Then Abraham rose the knife, and just before he began to plunge it, God says, stop. And he looks and he sees a ram in the thicket, and he realizes that God, I can trust God's word even when I don't understand it. I can trust that he will provide even when I don't know how the provision is coming. I, I know that my God can do a miracle even when the miraculous seems impossible. He didn't learn that in that moment. He trained himself in the Lot moment, come on somebody, to be able to trust God in the Isaac moment. There's times that we come to the Isaac moment, but because we haven't trained ourselves in the Lot moment, come on. We plunge the knife. We sacrifice the miracle, the family, the priority, the truth. Do you know what I believe? And this is just what I believe. But I believe Abraham saw something on that day that changed his life forever. As he raised that knife up into the air and God said, stop, I don't believe he just saw a ram in the thicket. I believe he saw a vision on the hill, on the next hill outside of Moriah. Because Moriah is where the temple was going to be built. And the next hill outside of the temple is a hill that was going to be called Golgotha. That one day would be called Calvary. And I believe in my heart that what he saw wasn't simply the ram for the momentary provision of the sacrifice of the covenant. But he saw an image of this true son that would seal the sacrifice and the covenant. Who was sent down from God's house to rescue those who made their free will decisions to do it their way and to be happy in their own means and to, to make decisions out of their own logic and he said I'm going to send my son down to rescue you who was born in my house Abraham saw that day and he gloried in it we my friends we will only glory in his day when it is his rule we long to see his kingdom we long to build and his reign we long to live in. We all have free will. The question is not whether or not we have it or if God will take it away. He won't. The only question that we really have is will we be a Lot or an Abraham? The place from which we use the independence God gave us. Will it be a vehicle of showing him that we love him 
are reinforcing the love that we have for ourselves. Because it, even if you say, well, the great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. So I have to love myself before I love my neighbor. But preceding that is loving God. So the only way to love God is to actually surrender our free will to his sovereignty. Not depend on my logic, my desire, or my drive, my culture, or my convenience. But his word, his way, and his will. Let's pray. Maybe today you find yourself trusting that God, that Jesus is your Savior, or trusting that Jesus can save you. But to be honest, you are living much more like Lot than you ever are living like Abraham. The beautiful nature of God is that he always, through his love and grace, provides space for you and I to change our direction. To come back, the word says to repent, to turn around and walk a different way. So today, I want to pray with you. Because if you've been living, following your own way, and your own will, and your own word, but realize today where that has gotten you, the futility of those decisions. Today, we've got an opportunity to turn around, to repent, and to ask Jesus to be the Lord and Savior, the Lord and Savior, the Lord and Savior of your life. Today is one of those love moments, those decision moments that are love moments. So if you're here today, and you can honestly say, man, I know there's a distance between myself and God. I know I'm living in Sodom when I should be living in memory. I know I'm doing my own thing my own way when today I know that I should be coming back to the grace of God, the goodness of God, the word of God, the way of God, the will of God. My friends, come on home. Come home. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door of your heart and I'm knocking. If you will enter, open up the door to me, I will come in. I will live with you. I will dine with you. And this will be a brand new day. So I'm asking you today, will you make a free will choice to love God with everything you've got and actually give him your life? It's as easy as asking him in as Lord and Savior. So I'm going to pray. And if that's where you are, if that's who you are today, will you just pray with me? We'll all pray. But you pray from the bottom of your heart. You actually connect with God today. Just say, dear Lord Jesus, here I am today. I've come to repent. I've come to turn around to give you my life. Everything I've got. All that I am. All that I ever will be. I'm choosing to give to you. I'm asking you, Jesus, to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I am choosing today to depend on you, on your rule and on your reign. I bow my knee to you. Forgive me of all the times I made my own choices and went my own way. I need you today. And I willingly give my life to you. In Jesus' name. 
amen and amen. Amen and amen. Come on, can we give God just some glory for people who just take, making that decision in this room online right now in Jesus' name. Hey, church, look, thank you for letting me share that word with you today. I hope that it challenged you. I hope it inspires you. I hope that during the week, when you come to those major life decisions or those minor life decisions that we say, man, I don't want to be a lot. I want to be an Abraham. But if you made that decision today to turn your life around and repent, truly make Jesus king of your life, we want to help you in that walk because this isn't the begin- uh, end of your journey. It's just the beginning. So Pastor Rick right over here, he's written two books that we want to give away for free. If you're a teen or you're a tween or you have a teen or a tween, this is a, a great book to help them understand how to live this life out with Jesus. And if you're not a teen or a tween, he wrote this amazing book to help you understand the grace and the love of God that God has for your life. If you made that decision today, just come and talk to Pastor Rick for a few moments before you leave. Let God speak. I'm proud of you. The Bible says right now, the Bible says, the Bible says right now, all the angels in heaven are celebrating because of you. You think the fireworks on Monday night are going to be a show? You should see what's going on in heaven right now. Because you said yes. You said yes. There was a son who was sent down to rescue us from the enemy's dominance. Don't allow the enemy to occupy what the son has set you free from. Amen? Pastor John's going to come really quickly as he's on the keyboard right now. Can you give Pastor John a hand? Pastor John's awesome. He had to wear sandals today because his feet are sunburned from the shore this week. I feel horrible for him. They were a little bit sunburned. That's true. <laughs> I was just kidding. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, Pastor John's doing awesome. I love this man. You know, you want to talk about faithfulness. John has been such a faithful servant of the house of God for so many years. So when John actually talks to you about giving, he's not talking to you from an intellectual place. He is talking to you from an experiential place. He's given his time, his talents, his life to build the kingdom of God. And so that, for me, that's, that, that kind of man is meant to be listened to and honored. Amen? Love you, bro. Love you, too. Um, good morning, church. It's still, well, it's right on afternoon, but good afternoon. Um, it's great to be with you all this morning to get to worship our God together. In just a minute, the ways that you can give are going to be up on the screens. And I had a moment about two months ago. It was a Sunday morning, and... Um, If you haven't seen me kind of bopping around before, there's a lot of things on my list on a Sunday morning. And I love lists. I am a list person. Give me a list and I am happy. If I can feel accomplished by checking things off of a list, it is a great day. I will add things to my list, like drink my coffee, so that I can feel even more accomplished by having something else that I've finished for the day. Um, And... It was a Sunday morning, and I was going through kind of getting everything ready, getting everything done, and I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to give now because I won't have time to give later. Go, logged online, did the QR code, logged in, did it. I'm like, okay, great, done. And God stopped me, and he said, oh, yeah, was, was that an offering? I was like, I mean, I can't say yes right now, but <laughs> I would like to say yes to you. And it was one of those heart check moments for me of have I made 
giving into a task? Or is it still an offering of praise that I'm bringing to God? And I just want to encourage us with that simple thought this morning of, is our giving a task? Or is it an offering of praise that we're bringing to our God? So that's it. If I could just pray with everybody really quickly. God, we love you. We lean into full dependence upon you this morning. We lean into what that looks like, what that means for our hearts, for our lives, into what it looks like to bring our offering, to bring our praise to you, to step further into communion with you, further into relationship with you. God, we thank you for who you are, for how you love us, that you chose us first, and that we get to love you back. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 I think I turned it off. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right, everybody, would you stand with me? I'm just going to pray over this house before we go. And this morning I was, I was telling Kay as we were driving in, I said, you know, if you would have asked me, just like even up to a couple of years ago, if I thought that everybody in my world, we're all on the same page, you see things the same way, you have the same belief system, you see the world from the same, I would have been like, oh yeah, absolutely. And then the world imploded. And you see so many fissures in so many areas, right? A lot of us have lost relationships just based on that fact. Just it being um, magnified that there are things that we just can't, that are just too important for us to stay as close with people that we may have been at one time. And I said to the Lord as I was getting ready this morning, I said, God, is it because the world changed or because we as people changed? And I just felt like God said immediately to my spirit, it's because people have been revealed. Me included. Because we didn't suddenly change. It's just that the world gave us an opportunity to be revealed. And so what I said to God is that I ask that you would help me get to repentance faster so that I can grow instead of protect and say that I really wasn't what I feel God exposed me to be. You know, we, we're so quick to protect. Like, well, that's not totally true, and I'm not totally like that, and that's not really how I feel. And, and, I, and I just have felt God just saying, like, just repent faster, Danielle. Like, just, you don't need all of, the, all of the protection. Just repent faster. Close the gap. Repent faster so that I can give you the growth that you keep talking to me about at a faster rate than protecting yourself will gain for you. So, Father, I pray that for this house right now. I pray it for myself as one who has been entrusted with this house, and I pray for this house, God, that you would help us not to move in shame when we realize that there is something for which we need to repent, that we would thank you immediately for putting it into the light 
and that, that we would embrace, Father, your forgiveness. It's the beautiful gift of repentance. And God, I pray that you would grow us from repentance, not just grow us from an awakening, not just grow us from when we become more aware, but you would grow us from a place that has said, I was wrong, please forgive me. God, help me to live independently choosing your love. And God, I just pray that as everyone walks from this room into the other rooms of their lives and they are faced with lot moments, God, I pray that you would remind them of the lessons learned today and you would help them not to just choose wisely, but that they would choose you because they love you more than they did yesterday. God, help me and all of us to love you more today than we did yesterday. Thank you for this house, God. Thank you for this house. Thank you, God, for your word. And thank you, God, for your truth. May your peace be carried out from this place with everyone here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you, church. Happy Sunday.